So, Lord, I agree with Justin. I want to trust you. So, Lord God, would you help us to trust you and your word? Peace be still. Help us to preach by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Yeah. Don't you worry about it, you. It won't be permanent. I see something permanent. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, who? You might feel something permanent. Just put your hand underneath my cap. Just feel a little lump. Knock on all on St. Patty's Day, Boston. I got that beat. I got that beat. Some moray eel bit right through my wetsuit. Well, nope, no, listen, I don't know about that, but I entered an arm wrestling contest in Loki Bar in San Francisco. You see this? Now I can't extend that. You know why? Got to the semifinal, celebrating my third wife's demise. Big Chinese fella, pull me right off. It's a bull shark. Scraped me when I was taking samples. I got something for you. That's the thresher. You see that? Chief Thresher's tail. Thresher? This is shark. You want to drink? Drink to your leg? I'll drink to your leg. Okay, so we <laughs> drink our legs. <laughs> I got the creme de la creme. Right here. Hold on. Hey, see that? You're wearing a sweater. Right there. Mary Ellen Moffat. She broke my heart. <laughs> I love that scene. Now that's a community group. That's a small group. That's, that's church, right? Right there. Captain Quint, Chief Brody, uh, or no, yeah, Chief Brody, Matthew Hooper, the Marine biologist in Jaws. You saw the movie. You, you know what's going on. They're out on the sea in the dark, uh, together, in a boat. And up until this time, they have not gotten along together at all. Uh, but now they're like full of the spirit. I mean, alcoholic spirit, but the, the spirit somehow. And, and in, in the spirit, uh, on the boat, in the dark, uh, floating on the deep, afraid of death, and the beast that swims in the sea, they, they begin to share their wounds. Did you see Chief Brody? Looks at his stomach, his appendix scar. <laughs> What's going on? He wishes he had a better wound. I mean, how, how weird is that? But what's the creme de la creme? 
a broken heart from Mary Ellen Moffat. Well, you see, it's when they begin to show each other their wounds that they become friends, that they begin to trust. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That's what we preached on last week. Next verse. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of those, those nails and place my hand in his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later. Now the Jews would always count the first day in a series. So eight days, according to their reckoning, is seven days according to our reckoning. In other words, they're gathered together uh, again on Sunday, first day of the week, one week after Easter. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, the doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it. Actually, the, the Greek is thrust it into my side. Just jam it into my hand, Tom, and into my side, Thomas, and, and don't disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing is life. Believing is everything in scripture. So how, how do I believe? How do I have belief? How do I have Faith. In Greek, faith or belief is the noun pistis, and believe is the verb pisteu. They all uh, come from like the, the same root, and they all mean trust. Well, the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas, it teaches us an awful lot about that, doesn't it? About trust or, or faith. First, I, I think it teaches us this, that Jesus did what it took for Thomas to have faith. I mean, Jesus didn't show up and ridicule Thomas for his lack of faith. He showed up and helped Thomas to have faith. And you remember that nobody really had faith a week before, right? We preached on that last week. Jesus didn't call Thomas doubting Thomas. Did you know that? The, the church did. In fact, this Thomas that was so courageous back in chapter 11, remember when Jesus said we need to go to Jerusalem to see Lazarus, and they all said we'll die, and Thomas said, well, let's go with him and die with him. 
And it was Thomas that would ask the questions when nobody else would. Chapter 14, it was Thomas who belted out, Jesus, we don't know where you are going, so how would we know the way? Everybody was thinking that. Nobody asked that. Good thing Thomas asked the question because this was the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Good thing he asked because none of us would have got that answer. Well, you see, Jesus did what it took for Thomas to have faith. So faith isn't a test the way we normally think of a test. I mean, God isn't testing us to find out if we have faith, as if he did not already know the answer to that question. God's not testing us to see if we have faith, but maybe God is testing, it, testing us so that we would have faith. 1 Peter 1, 7, Peter teaches us that our faith is, quote, tested by trials the way gold is refined by fire. So 4.12, don't be surprised at the fiery trials, the ordeals which come upon you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, his wounds. Well, Jesus did what it took for Thomas to have faith. But check this out. From the time Thomas said, unless I see, I won't believe, Jesus was not seen <laughs> for seven days. Now, seven, you know, is huge in, in John, in the Revelation, in the Gospel. I mean, seven days, is that's the days of creation. Seven is like all chronological time. And check this out. Jesus could have shown up right when... Thomas doubted, right? I mean, I think he asked that question the week before on Easter. I mean, he could have shown up for Thomas right when he doubted, but Jesus waited seven days, not seen. Well, Jesus did what it took for Thomas to have faith. My friend's son told his dad, when he asked him what faith was, he said, faith is, Daddy, faith is believing what I know is not true. I think a lot of people think that. Is faith just lying to yourself? Just believe and never doubt. Never ask questions. No questions. Jesus said, seek and you will find. You, you can't seek truth unless you have doubts about where the truth is. Right? Thomas sought truth and, and found truth, or truth found him. You see, faith isn't lying about truth. Jesus is the truth. You can't lie your way to the truth. Jesus is the truth. And he seems to really like honest questions. Some people, now some people do doubt. They doubt in order to avoid the truth. That's sin. But if you doubt in order to find the truth, because you want the truth, I think that's called faith. Hans Kuhn, great theologian, wrote this. Doubt is the shadow side of faith. Seeking truth, because you want truth, is faith. And, and yet, and yet check this out, faith is not like knowledge you can just go pick, like some fruit off of some tree. <laughs> yet, actually, it does come from a tree, and it is fruit. But it's a gift. Well, biblical faith isn't faith in some knowledge, 
knowledge of good and evil, for instance, or, or a list, or a set of laws. Biblical faith is trusting a person. A famous ethicist, an ethicist is, is someone you know, who studies the knowledge of good and evil. A famous ethicist, James Cavanaugh, asked Mother Teresa one day if she would pray for him for clarity. And Mother Teresa said to him, I won't do that. <laughs> she said, clarity is the last thing that you are hanging on to. And so I will pray for trust. You know, we tend to think growing in faith is about acquiring knowledge. But we usually want knowledge so that we won't need faith, right? I mean, an evil and a, a rebellious son wants knowledge about his father. Why? <laughs> so we won't have to trust his father. You know, people hate it. I've learned after all these years of ministry, people hate it when I say, look, I, I really don't know how to make your life work. I really don't know how to make your marriage work. I, I, I really don't know. So, so I guess you're just going to have to like trust God, your father. People hate that. You hate that. We all hate that. I mean, we'd rather that I would just make some stuff up and we would all lie to ourselves and pretend that we had faith. Well, Thomas wouldn't pretend. Thomas wouldn't lie. But then, check this out, after seven days of not being seen, Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, jam your hand in my side and believe. And then Jesus says this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Some of you have never seen what you would call a miracle. So people talk about it at church and you feel all like insecure. I, I used to be like that. Sometimes still am, but, but I mean I've seen miracles. But some of you have never seen what you call a miracle. Some of you have doubts because you lack empirical evidence. That is, you lack scientific evidence and you feel all insecure about that, that you have not seen. Well, Jesus says, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. You see, maybe you haven't seen because Jesus wants you to be blessed. You know, if we see and believe... We have a certain kind of faith. Let me say that again. If we see and then believe, we have a certain kind of faith. Faith that God exists. Faith that he can do pretty cool stuff, powerful stuff. We know about him the way you know about frogs in biology or trees in botany if we see and believe. Years ago, I was flying over Nevada, and I remember the pilot got on the, on the intercom thing, and uh, he spoke to the whole, whole plane with this amazing sense of wonder. You could just hear it in his voice. He said, did you know that right below us is the location of the world's oldest, oldest living thing, Prometheus, the bristlecone pine? Then he paused for a minute, and he said, well, it was the oldest living thing. They cut it down to... Count its rings. They cut it down to see, and then they believed. It used to be the world's oldest living thing. 
They knew about life, but no longer had life because they killed it. Jesus is the life. The Jews and the Romans, the whole world wanted to know about him. And so we nailed him to a tree, dissected him on a cross. And then a Roman centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. Perhaps seeing is believing, but the day you see it, the day you eat of it, somebody dies. Well, if we see and believe, like I was saying, if we see and believe, it's one kind of faith. But if we don't see and yet believe, it's another kind of faith. There are two kinds of faith, kind of like two ways of knowing. One, you can know about things. You, you can take knowledge of things. That's called the empirical method. That's science. I love science. You can know about things with science. Number one, you can, you can know about things. Or number two, you can know persons. Two ways of knowing, kind of like two kinds of faith. Number one, faith that God exists. Yes, class, we now know that God exists. We nailed him down, dissected him, and issued our judgment. He exists. However, it appears that he's dead. Called deism. Number one, faith that God exists. Faith, God exists. And number two, faith in who he is. There are, uh, faith in who he, there are those that lack that first kind of faith, that he exists. But they seem to have some of that second kind of faith in who he is. They say, I like the idea of Jesus, the, the mere idea of Jesus, but, but you know, I'm not sure that he exists. I hope, man, I, I really want, I hope that, that he exists. And on the other hand, there are those that seem to have uh, tons of the first kind of faith. They say, oh yeah, man, I know he exists. But, but it turns out they really don't know who he is. A perfect example of those sorts of people would be the folks that John calls the Jews. And by that, he means religious folks that justify themselves with knowledge of the law and the power of their own flesh. You know, if you tested those folks and, and you said to them, does God exist? They'd, they'd all say, oh, yeah, I'm sure of it. I mean, can't you tell by my bumper stickers and my Bible covers and my posters and, and my T-shirts? I took the class. I know he exists. The Jews passed that test. They believe God exists. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so when he showed up, they nailed him to a tree in a garden. And we're still dissecting the evidence. They believed he existed, but didn't know who he was. And so, yeah, I guess they had faith, but not faith in him. Faith in their version of him. Faith in an idol. St. Gregory of Nyssa wrote this. Concepts create idols. Only wonder understands. You know, there are those that seem to think they have the second coming of Christ all figured out. They quote prophets like Isaiah and talk about, uh, from Isaiah 61, the day of vengeance and uh, the judgment of our God. And they seem pretty sure that they'll be raptured out of here when Jesus shows up and just fries everybody with fire. 
You know, in Luke 18, Jesus says, look, guys, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything, check this out, everything that's written about the Son of Man in the prophets will be accomplished, finished. Same word he used on the cross when he cried, it is finished. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like the vengeance and the fire happened 2,000 years ago. That's not to say that we won't see it again. It's not to say that we won't meet it again, but maybe we don't recognize God's vengeance and God's fire all that well because we really don't know who he is, the substance of who he is. Well, the religious folks, they missed him the first time he came. What's to make us think that we won't miss him if he comes again? Well, anyway, is God impressed that you believe he exists? I mean, if I, if I came up to you and I said, hey, man, hey, Bill, I've been watching you. I got you figured out. I believe you exist. I mean, you'd be like, well, gee, thanks, Peter, but you're kind of a butthead. That's what you'd be thinking, right? <laughs> but what if I said to you, hey, man, Bill, I, I just want you to know, I, I, I kind of have been watching you, and you know what, Bill, I, I believe in who you are. I have faith in who you are. I trust you. That, that, would, that would be different, wouldn't it? Maybe there are some that have faith in who God is, but not much faith that he even exists. I mean, that he's even alive. Like Thomas. I suspect that there are folks who call themselves atheists who actually have more faith in God than many Christians. More faith in God because they doubt the God who really is, rather than the profession of the God who really isn't, an idol. Maybe some uh, 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 have faith in God because they doubt who God really is rather than profess the God who really isn't, the idol. And maybe some don't disbelieve in the God who is. They, they just disbelieve in the God who isn't, the idol. And so they are so ready to believe in the God who is. Well, anyway, may, maybe, maybe what I was saying is there are some that have faith in who God is, but not much faith that he even exists. And maybe they're even mad at him for not existing. But think about it. That means they really want him to exist. And, and so, you see, I'm really not worried about those folks that want him to exist. Because if they want him, they'll seek him. And he said, seek and you will find. He'll show up at the end of the seven days and, and they'll be glad. They will be glad and cry out, my Lord and my God, I want him. You know, Thomas said that he didn't believe on Easter Sunday, right? He said he didn't believe on Easter Sunday. So what's he doing in church on Sunday, seven days later? He said he didn't believe, but now it's like he really wants to believe. What's been happening for seven days? I bet Thomas was really mad at Jesus, right? 
But then he really longed for Jesus, so he really wants Jesus, and he wants to believe, and so kind of does believe. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus asks him, have you believed because you have not seen? Thomas is the only disciple that has not seen, right? All the others saw the week before. Have you believed because you have, you have not, not seen? So, so maybe Thomas's answer is no. I believe, or have you believed because you have seen? And Thomas says, no, I believe because I have not seen and so want to believe. And so I guess now, Jesus, I kind of do believe in you. Well, anyway, seeing is believing when it comes to things that are dead. But believing is seeing when it comes to persons that are alive. John 20, 31. John writes, Jesus did these signs, and they are written down so that you might believe. Believe what? Believe in signs? No. Believe in the person that they point to. In John, there are seven signs, like seven days of creation, and they all point to the resurrected Christ. Every sign is about this sign, but this isn't just a sign. This is, this is the substance. Every sign, all creation is telling you his story. You see, it's so important that you have faith in who he is before you see him at the end of time. Before you see that he not only exists, but that he is existence. Faith in who he is, so that when he appears, you don't shrink in shame, as John puts it. So that you aren't destroyed by the manifestation of his parousia, his coming, as Paul puts it. So that you don't run from the fire of love, but run into the fire of love, crying, my Lord and my God. It's so important that you have faith in who he is, or you'll never endure the glory of his presence. In the Revelation, John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and she has the glory of God. She's filled with light and fire, filled with him, and he is love. It's so important that you have faith in who he is before you are confronted with his undeniable existence. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Like a, like a seed, a, a word, a, the, the mere idea of Jesus. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Do you hope for Jesus? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not seen, not seen, not seen. The seed germinates in the broken soil that is your heart when he seems dead, not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So back to our first question. Ah, how can I believe? Well, you can't just decide to believe. I mean, belief is the substance of Jesus. You can't just decide to believe, but with the little belief that you have got, because you are here, right? You are hoping, right? Maybe you are listening to the tape, right? With the little belief that you've got, you can touch his wounds. Jesus said, Thomas, touch my wounds. 
and believe. Touch the mark, touch the scar, touch the stigma and believe. Of all the things that Jesus could have had Thomas touch at that point, why wounds? I mean, you've watched Christian TV, right? I mean, if you watch that stuff very long, you, you would think that Jesus would have shown up and said, Thomas, you want to believe? Touch my Lexus and believe. Touch my 401k and believe. Touch my health, wealth, and prosperity and believe, Thomas. Thomas, you touch my perfect life and believe. Thomas, touch my halo and believe. But no. Thomas, touch my wounds and believe. Feel these scars and believe. Why scars? There was a baby, they cut it out. Sorry. It's fine. Have you got any scars? One or two. wondered if I should show that clip from Gangs of New York because uh, I didn't really like the movie all that much. I mean, it was awfully dark and I didn't see much Jesus except in that scene. But I wondered if I should show that scene at church. Like I said, there are different ways of knowing and it looks like they're about to know each other in a rather biblical kind of way one that forms a covenant that must not be broken where two persons become one body, bride and groom, joined at a wound. You see, that's knowing each other in a biblical kind of way. And so is this. I love that picture. When Jesus showed the disciples his side. He was showing them how he had made them his bride, telling them their story, Jesus and his bride. Remember, Jesus is the eschatos, Adam. Eve is created from a wound in Adam's side. The church is created from a wound in Jesus' side, body broken, blood shed on a tree. Why wounds? Wounds tell a story. So if you really want to know a person, touch, touch their wounds. 
Sometimes you may have the same wounds or wounds that come from the very same story, body broken and blood shed on a tree. It's the heart of God that hangs on that tree. John says, Jesus, from the bosom of the Father. Have you ever run your hands down the scars on the chest of a man who's had open heart surgery? That's what you do every time you come to communion. The Father has given to you His heart. Like Richard Driver said in Jaws, it's the creme de la creme, a broken heart. And we are Mary Ellen Moffat. We took His heart, nailed it to the tree, and here's the kicker. He led us so that He would be known by us and we would have faith in Him, who He is, and He is love, and it's the creme de la creme. So you see, wanting to know Him as our possession to be used, we took His life on the tree, that's sin. But it turns out He gave His life on the tree, that's grace. And that is the plan for the fullness of time from the foundation of the world that we would touch his wounds and believe and be made in his image, the image of love. Do you ever think our, our wounds are the imprint of his wounds and his wounds the imprint of ours, complementary wounds from the very same story? His faithfulness, you know, formed a wound body broken and blood shed. And our faithlessness also formed a wound, the sin of this world. Eve, he is the helper fit for us. His faithfulness fills our faithlessness and bears fruit that is life, even as his faithfulness bears all of our faithlessness. For he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> so Jesus appears to Thomas and he says, Thomas, Thomas, touch my wounds. Thrust your hand into my side, Thomas, and believe. So, how do I believe? Step one, God subjects all creation to futility and consigns all men to disobedience, Romans 11.32a. Step two, Romans 11.32b, we crucify him and he has mercy upon all. Step three, he rises from the dead and says, touch my wounds, touch my wounds and believe. Even when we don't see him, especially when, when we don't see him, he says, touch my wounds and believe. So you, so you might ask this question, well, where are his wounds? <laughs> On his body. Well, where's his body? Where's the wounded body? Where's the wounded body of Christ? You want faith? Go to Kenya. Hold AIDS babies with children of hope. Go to Burma. Paul can even take you there. Meet with the persecuted church that is on the run in the jungles of Burma and, and touch the wounds. Go down to Colfax with Streets Hope or Open Doors and, and uh, bleed love, bleed life for somebody else. You see, a wound pierces the prison that is the self. 
This is a very theological statement. It, it pierces the flesh. And when you touch another wound, it forms a wound in you called compassion. It hurts, but, but love flows between the wounds, and love is life. God is love, and Jesus is life. He said, whatever you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. And he said to Thomas, Thomas, touch my wounds. You know, there are actually people that stockpile food and hold guns to guard that food while they look to the sky waiting for the second coming of Christ. And Christ lies at their feet in distressing disguise, starving. (laughs) And I think those people are us. You want faith, rich man? Touch the wounds, touch the sores on the body of Lazarus. Where can I find him? He's lying right outside your door. Anyway, I have so much kind of cool theology about scars and wounds. Scars like circumcision, that's, that's a scar. That's a sign of something. Scars like belly buttons. <laughs> being born again, stuff like that. Uh, Wounds that bleed fire. Stories about scars of shame transformed into scars of glory. Stories about touching wounds, experiencing love, and then being surprised by faith. Faith and love and God is love. Stories, but we don't have time. And the reality is we don't need all those stories because you are the story. We don't need to go to Kenya, Burma, or even Colfax. I mean, I think you should, but we don't need to go to Kenya, Burma, or Colfax to touch the wounds because there are plenty of wounds on the body of Christ right here in this room this morning, right now. And so what's the problem? People cover the wounds in shame. When those wounds could be a door. You know, the wounds on the body of Christ, they form a door. If you belong to Jesus, check this out. You are his body, and so your wounds are on his body. See, they are his wounds, and that means his wounds are on your body as an open door, an open door inviting someone to love, and God is love. And check this out. Did you know this? Sin is a wound. In fact, one day you'll see this. Um, Sin is the most painful of of all wounds. Yet when it's confessed to a friend, it opens a door. So you want to have faith? Touch that wound with grace. And God is grace. In my mind, in my way of thinking, that really is the, the bottom line reason why we're trying to have community groups and small groups and stuff like that is to give you a way to touch the wounds on the body of Christ. Not fix them. Just touch them. And so have faith. Well, to touch another's wounds with grace, you'll probably need to let them touch your wounds. And to let them touch your wounds, you'll have to let God touch those wounds too. A while ago, a friend was praying for me several months, and she sent me this vision that she had of me. She said, Peter, I saw you were lying in this field, and your body was was covered with wounds, but then Jesus stood there, and he began to touch your wounds, and when he would touch your wounds, they would be healed. Your hands were at your, your side, but the moment that he would reach for your heart, you'd throw your hand over your heart and wouldn't let him touch your wound. 
See, when God touches a wound, he blesses that wound. That means it's not just yours, it's his. And then what Satan intended for evil, you must acknowledge God intended for good. All that to say, it's hard to surrender wounds. I've met with a, a small group for almost 20 years now. We haven't met much at all in recent years. However, with one person, I still meet every week. We started doing that when he really messed up and his marriage was falling apart. At first, I tried to fix Andrew's marriage. And I tried to fix Andrew's wounds. But I wasn't even sure what the wounds were, and, and I, I, so I couldn't fix them. I tried to fix them, but I, I couldn't fix them. Only God can. You, you know, Thomas wasn't asked to fix the wounds of Jesus, right? Just touch them. And so we get together on Wednesday afternoons around 1 o'clock, and usually Andrew and I just go for a walk on 16th Street. Andrew shares his wounds, and basically... I just touch him, <laughs> say, ah, I'm sorry. And we both long for Jesus. Then I share my wounds. He shared his, so I share mine. Broken heart. <laughs> he just says, yeah, Peter, I know. I'm sorry. Then Andrew shares his heart, and I say, I, I don't know what to tell you, Andrew, but I love you. And you know, it's then, touching his wound, that I feel my wound beginning to heal. It's then I have faith, a little more faith. You know, Thomas had a wound called faithlessness. And it was when he touched Jesus' wound that his own wound was healed. Well, Thomas had been guarding his broken heart now for seven days. It had been locked down in the prison of his own flesh. He hadn't seen Jesus like the others, and then suddenly Jesus appeared, and Thomas, doubting Thomas, made the greatest declaration of faith in all of Scripture. He cried, my Lord and my God. Thomas called Jesus God, but not just God, my God, my Lord and my God. Check this out. He saw God and was not consumed. Or maybe he was with worship. Hope you were here two weeks ago. Christian Compost. There's Christian. He, he shared his story. He told about being uh, raped as a young man. And how they held him to the floor of the bus and would whisper in his ear as they cut marks in his chest. They raped him and they cut him. And as they cut him and uh, cut his chest, his stomach, as they cut him, they whispered in his ear, who were doing this so that the rest of your life, whenever you look in the mirror and you see these scars, you'll remember, we did this to you. Well, Christian shared how he kind of accepted their judgment and began to cut himself. 
judge himself, sin against himself. And he shared how one day, sitting here in church, as we were having communion, he, he, he prayed, Jesus, where were you? Where were you in all of that? And he said he heard Jesus clear as day say, dear Christian, dear Christian, I'm in the blood. The blood that you shed. Jesus is the life. The life is in the blood. The blood is in the wound. Those wounds are Christ's wounds on Christians' body, which is Christ's body, which means those wounds are their wounds. And now every time Christian sees those scars, every time he looks in the mirror and he sees those old wounds, he can remember what Jesus did for him. Not just as some theory, not just as some idea in his head, but like marks on his body. Not scars of shame, but marks of glory. The very stigmata of Christ. And now Christian knows who Christ is. Knowing him is life. Well, I don't know about you, but when Christian shared his story, I just had this irresistible urge to worship. To worship. You know, I, I've got plenty of faith that God exists. I mean, it wasn't always like that, but, but I do now. I've just seen too much. I've got plenty of faith that God exists. And sometimes it makes me do stuff for fear that he might just show up and fry my butt. But let me tell you, it never makes me, that kind of faith that he exists, it never makes me want to worship. But when I see my friend's wounds on Christ's body, when I realize he suffers everything they suffer, when I see that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, when I see who he is, that's when I worship. That's when I say, that's my Lord. That's my God. Oh, I want him to be God. I want him to be God. That's faith. And so on that night, in that room, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. I, I, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the one thing that I want you to do uh, week by week in remembrance of me. Have you ever thought to yourself, communion is just weird. You, you ever think that? Uh, you know, weird can also mean holy, by the way. But, but, but what I mean is you, you think to yourself, why this? <laughs> of all the things, Jesus, that you could have us touch, why this? Well, come to the table and bring your wounds and touch God's wound and have life. Book of Revelation chapter 5. When all the earth, every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them 
sings his praises, do you remember what they're looking at? This. A lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Our Lord Jesus and his wounds. He's risen from the dead. And so it's safe to touch his wounds. And that's what he says to you, touch my wounds. Touch the wounds on the broken body of Christ. And the broken body of Christ is, is all around you. And so, you know, people often wonder, well, what's the takeaway from the sermon? What's the practical application point? Well, this is the practical application point. Touch the wounds on the body of Christ. And where is the body of Christ? They're all around you. Scripture says, confess your sins one to another. You know, I think that's what scares us about small groups sometimes. When people confess their sins, we think it's our job to fix them. But that's not our job. That's God's job. He asks you, just, just touch them and check it out. You have keys. Touch them with grace. We, we, we saw that last time. Whom you forgive has been forgiven in heaven. So when they say, when they confess to you, all you have to do is say, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Wow, that's good news. You get to speak really, really, really good news. And so I hope that you would um, develop those kind of relationships. And so we uh, have, um, Francis is setting up community groups. Uh, like small groups who have dinners for eight, all sorts of things. But you can call her and say, I want to be a part of some of those, one of those groups. And she may even ask you, hey, could you kind of even facilitate it? And that stresses people out. But remember, you don't have to fix the wounds. Jesus just calls you to touch them, touch them and speak, speak his word uh, of grace. So hopefully um, you would do that. I'm able to do that with my wife, been married to her for a long time, and especially with Andrew because we've been in small group together for so long, and other friends like Jennifer and other Parsons that were in that group, but develop those kind of relationships. In other words, touch the wounds on the body of Christ and believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.